Thanks, Sebastian. Now, before starting today's show, I just want to give everybody a quick PSA that the next half dozen episodes of Mars on Life will be airing on Wednesdays until Sebastian gets back. This worked out due to scheduling with this week's guest, and in a way, it takes us back to our early days when we previously aired in the middle of the week. With that out of the way, let's get started. My phone signal shows one bar, but one bar is good enough. I got better Wi-Fi now than I've ever had in the whole time I've lived in the Santa Cruz Valley, and it's always on one bar. So, so I, uh, they, Those bars are just a placebo. What is it? I don't trust <laughs> them at all. <laughs> They're the worst. Following where we left off last week, quote, once again, from a chat, from a group chat, if you will, Kendrick Bangers like when the smart straight-A kid dominates P.E. basketball. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) If if you guys haven't heard the new Kendrick album, which um, you'll be canceled if you haven't heard it, because everyone in the world has heard it, apparently. Um, there is a concerning lack of bangers. So, um, call me a hater, but, um, not, not feeling it a hundred percent. I guess that means I'm not from this planet, Ben. <laughs> no sweat. You know, I know I'm just going to totally contradict myself, but it did just come out Friday also. So, I mean, I, I, listened, I listened to the, the, my chem song, which I think came out the same day, did it? Or, or was that Thursday? came up there no uh, Friday uh, too um which I guess is uh more of a banger in its own right than um Kendrick's album but you know the, to, to each their own but that was kind of surprising to see too we might get into uh Mr. Morale and the big steppers later on we'll see uh for all I know we might even get into the breaking Doctor Who news that I was jumping for joy over before we started recording um, what is this show, you're probably wondering? Well, if you're coming back to the show, you more than likely know what it is. It's Mars on Life. I am, of course, one of your co-hosts, Ryan Mancini. I'm joined with me by my dear friend, Andrew Martinez. Andrew, how are you doing and where are you at? Uh, I'm doing very good. Thank you for asking. I am totally COVID-free. Don't. I'm not going to take a test, though. And I am calling from Times Square. I am here for work, which work trips suck but um it's a nice uh getaway even though Times square is the tourist trap of america so i'm calling you from the tourist capital of the world i'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy uh unless you come to my neck of the woods um i thought that was florida (laughs) i mean they don't have a star wars land so they can't even make that joke with it Although te- that only applies to uh, most Eisley, so I don't even think Galaxy's Edge gets to... Anyway, tangent for another time. Uh, Andrew, before we get started, before we introduce our very special guest, our first brand new guest of Season 3, uh, I just want to note, this is your 10th episode as co-host of Mars on Life. That's pretty amazing to hear. Time does fly. I feel like it was just yesterday, we were talking about the Batman... I still think about that conversation more than the movie sometimes. And it's like, <laughs> um, 
a breakdown that was almost as long as the movie. And hey, we could have gone twice as long as the movie. And uh, it's been uh, a fun ride every step of the way. I am gracious that you uh, continue to bring me back and continue to have my voice <laughs> pod. But uh, it's been a blast and uh, can't wait for many more. It's been an absolute delight and it's it's still it's still getting started the way I see it. Now, finally, uh, at long last, we have a guest coming on the show who I've wanted to be on Mars on Life for a very long time now. The stars finally aligned and we got him to come on. It's again at long last. And after talking about him last week, uh, we have the owner of Don Cuco Restaurant. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> a dear a dear friend of mine as well, uh, a fellow journalist, fellow journalist and new guest of the show. Please introduce yourself. Um, hello, hello, everybody. I am the owner of Don Cuco's. No, um, <laughs> my name is Matt Fernandez. I am a well, I guess my, my positions in life have changed at this point. So primarily day job now. I'm a social media coordinator. Um, I'm also side gig city. Uh, I host the Believe in Overwatch League esports pop culture podcast. I'm a producer for the Finding Founders Entrepreneurship Podcast. I am the head box office manager for the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival, which ended two days ago. Um, I am... I, am I still a journalist, technically, Ryan, at this point? Because I'm, I haven't written anything and I'm not technically hired. I mean, like, I've got a piece I'm trying to get in the works, but, like, they're like, no, we don't want to talk to you until August. So, um, I guess I'm a, I am a journalist sometimes, and then I'm also a camp counselor sometimes, and I'm also a theater actor sometimes. Well, currently, I'm, I'm, I'm a theater actor right now because I'm in a I'm in Shawnee's production of uh, Barefoot in the Park, so um, ah, yeah, I don't friend. I don't sleep. <laughs> friend of the show and uh, our I think our first guest was Shawnee Badger. Yeah, Matt, welcome to the show. Uh, like I said, this has been a long time coming, and um, I guess to uh, to start off, you've had so many projects that you've been working on for the last four years that I've known you. I guess uh, has it been four years already? It's it's been pretty close to that, yeah. If not, it it's already over four years, yeah. Oh wow, I didn't I didn't realize it's been. You're right, because 2018 we met. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess maybe we should talk a little bit about that. Uh, we we uh, we both started working together at the Santa Cruz Valley Signal, which we've talked about uh, that newspaper on the show before previously. That had. that is the hive of scum and villainy, right there. <laughs> Work with the same infamous editor. He who must not be named for fear of giving me trauma nightmares. Sorry to bring it up, but <laughs> it is all world indeed. When you look back on that time period that we worked together, I guess what what stood out to you the most in terms of just what you did as a as a reporter? I think the biggest thing for me, well, a couple of the biggest things for me are one, how the hell. Are there fires in Santa Clarita when it is raining? I don't understand this because it's like every single day, no matter what's going on, there's like, oh, we got another fire. Go, go run out and cover it. Oh, we got another fire. Go around, go around and cover it. Um, the second thing I thought I, I thought was surprising was I never thought that a police scanner would be like the bane of my existence. Cause like, I'm not, I'm not very good at, covering breaking things i'm better at like doing interviews with people and like taking my time with the story 
Um, also, I'm better at talking to people who are cooperative with me, not like the a lot of the like some of the, the, the people in law enforcement that you'll call out here will be like very gracious to you and give you the information. Others of them are just assholes and like will not talk to you. Like, could I have your, your name for my article, please, so I can attribute it? Why do you need my name so that I can attribute it? You don't need my name. I do need your name. No, you don't. Well, sir, I, I do kind of need your name to have a source. No, you don't. You don't need my name. You don't need my badge. And then they'll hang up. And then he who must not be named was always like, you need to call them back. And like, you need to push them and like demand their information. Like you have to talk to me because it's like, it, it's required by the law. And I'm like, if I'm an asshole to him, he's not going to want to talk to me ever again. What are you talking about? And then I think the third thing is like, I, I realized about Santa Clarita is how many goddamn bowling fundraisers can you have in a month? <laughs> it's just it's like the thing i realized about santa clarita is there are two things you can do for fun out here go to six flags and go bowling and i cannot go bowling more than like twice in a month and the mall let's not forget the mall but is that considered fun or do you just kind of, is it like the denny's where you just kind of end up there i mean when you're a teenager out here that is denny's uh, I suppose. It's 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 just the best we ever had, <laughs> plus Six Flags, and it's like okay, so this is what we have to look forward to in life. Little did we know that that really is all we have to look forward to for folks that were that have been marooned out here for reasons I won't get into. Fire season is a year long nightmare out here. I don't remember when was the fire that happened while it was raining. It was all the time. Like, I, I, it's generally, like, when you weren't there, I think you'd probably either be off on a call or be on a Monday when you're not working, but it'd be, like, I'd be oh. in the little back annex or whatever, and I'd hear it on the scanner, it's, like, we've got a fire, blah, 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 and I'd be, or I'd look at, like, stupid Pulse Point, which I'm so glad I've, I never had to re-download again, um, but it'd be, like, how... How is there possibly a fire in the wash when it has just literally been raining all day? Explain this to me, please. I all, all I can gather is that there there may be maybe I, if it's near where there's been like I'll put it this way if if a vehicle has been in that area there's a chance for leakage or the dry brush is just so resistant to getting to being soaked by water that it just it stays like dry kindling uh, once it meets a flame. At least those are my guesses. I, I'd have to I, I'd been I've been meaning to revisit Mike Davis's Ecology of Fear for a while now, as listeners can mm. probably imagine, even though I, I talked all about it for a whole episode last year. I don't know, like uh, I, like uh, lightning strikes, man-made, because yeah. that is peculiar. And also, does it rain more in the Santa Clarita Valley than, like, the L.A. Basin? Like, I mm-hmm. I have no idea. Virtually Maybe. never. <laughs> you know what I think it is, Ryan, considering we live out in Santa Clarita? It's 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 the damn Democrats. It's Joe Biden and the, and the cabal. <laughs> That's who it is. I, obviously, I wasn't invited to those parties, but that's who it's going to be. <laughs> I'm also curious uh. about the alley you mentioned how many bowling alleys is there in town like were you like they knew you at the front door like i'm curious how there's only like alleys? ryan correct me if i'm wrong but there's only two right there's only there's yeah. the there's santa clarita lanes right by the signal office and then there's valencia lanes right pretty sure yeah okay and, but and, to your point drew 
it's not that they that the staff knew me. It's that I would I would go to a bowling fundraiser one weekend, and then yeah. I'd be looking for things to do the next weekend, and then be like, oh, go to this fundraiser. I'm like, okay, and I don't know what it is until I'm like looking up the address, and it's like, oh god, it's another bowling fundraiser. So I go to one of the two bowling alleys again, and it's the same people there doing a different fundraiser for a, for a different organization or for the same organization, and I have to get, like, new quotes for them despite us just having done the same damn thing last week. It's like, can you please tell me something different so it's not like I wrote the same article twice? <laughs> I managed totally. to pull it off every time, but it's like, I, I hate this. This is not... This is not why I, I write. <laughs> yeah, and I'm also curious too. And I'm I'm really like stuck on this point. You said one of them's near the, the the signal office too. I don't know if that makes an assignment better or worse. I mean, I don't know if you like those assignments and you just like walk down the street, or if you would rather just be like, I need to get away from the office and just like drive somewhere far. Well, for me, it's like it was more convenient. But also, it's like, the more time I'm driving, the less time I had to be in contact with people. <laughs> That's a good point. Relatable. And this has sort of been a topic I've, I've found myself talking about more and more outside of the podcast, outside of our circles. Um, but talking with people about the religious beat that I had, or the faith beat, whatever name you want to give it. And it didn't feel monotonous by comparison to the fundraising events that you and I had to cover frequently, but I'd rather be, I'd actually rather be covering all that stuff than the fundraisers just because it was, it was a breath of fresh air and it was typically, it was typically covering things that we just hadn't covered before because either a nobody cared to, or B people were biased and they'd rather cover what their own church was doing every Sunday. To start off, I know that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you've lived in the Santa Clarita Valley since the late 90s, right? 98. I had I, w- I moved here when I was three in 98. Cried about it because I didn't know a world outside of the little apartment in Sherman Oaks that we lived in. Um, and then lived here until I was 18, graduated high school and. 13, lived in Westwood for five years, and then moved back when I ran out of money. Hooray, and now I'm here, and I want to get out. Because once you've tasted the freedom, it's like, oh god, I'm going through withdrawals. (laughs) Oh, I feel that. Oh my god. What really made me, like, recently realize that I, I have to leave. Um, okay, so, so, this, this, like, I've, I've known for a while that, like, and I tell this to people all the time that Santa Clarita is not a good city to live in, in when you're a young adult. Like, it's good to grow up in, I suppose, because, like, the schools here are pretty good. And it's, like, quiet. You don't have to worry about, like, walking down the street and, and like, getting jumped as much as, like, you would in other communities or whatever. Um, and it's, like, it, it's clean. The air is not going to kill you. Like, you're, you, we're in a, a relatively safe and stable area, you would say. Right, Ryan? Relatively, I would argue against the breathable air, but... Uh, I mean, it's better than, like, living dead center of L.A. True, true. I mean, I think there, there's certainly a lot of gas guzzlers out here. Not to say there isn't in the middle of L.A., but go on. So, like, I've, I've known that this is not a good place for, like, my social life, because a lot of my friends either live in L.A. or have just moved out of California. 
Um, and so like occasionally I'll go out and, and hang out with friends there. But so me and my friend like had started dating at one point and then like she lives in LA and then I live here. Um, and it's, so it's about an hour in between where we live. If like she wants to come here to hang out or if I was going to go down there to hang out with her after a while, she just like, she's like, Hey, I need to tell you that like, I am actually like seeing someone as a boyfriend now. And then I found out that it's like, he lives like 15 minutes away from her. I live an hour from her. So it's like, God damn it. Santa Clara, do you cock blocker? <laughs> so Jeez. that is, that is the realization that SCV is social suicide. It's not mathletes. It's it's Santa Clarita. Man, that's a very grim assessment. More grim than Ryan's ever said on. Well, at least to me. Oh no, I, I have a. I, there there are two things. No, three things about Santa Clarita that I enjoy. One is the tea garden because they have fantastic tea. Two is Brave New World Comics because that's where I buy my comics. And three is like the very robust community theater scene here. The rest of it is shit. To be a person in your twenties living out here, it's when you've already been exposed to college and when you've already been exposed to what else SoCal has to offer for a young person to just have fun, whether you're going to, you know, whether you're going to parts of Hollywood, whether you're going to Beverly Hills, uh, whether you're going to other parts of the San Fernando Valley, you can always find something. You can always find somewhere Mm -hmm. that you can go to and be yourself, have fun, Still, obviously, be mindful of your surroundings, but sort of, you know, let go of your your whatever reservations you may have. But up up here, I mean, growing up, it was always the status quo, and and it I think continues to be it it, it does continue to be. Um, it's great up until you turn eighteen. After that, you're only as good as how much money you make and how soon you can get married and contribute to the community. <laughs> yeah. Because I've known people that are not too much older than me. In fact, they may be, they actually I've known people closer to your age, Andrew, that, you know, they're already making, you know, they're, they're, they've got like five figure, six figure jobs and they've already got a kid on the way or they already have a kid and typically they're somebody that's so involved with the community and they're already an entrepreneur that somehow made it big that anybody else who's trying to get into any particular field, they they just they can't, you know, if they if they want to break into it, they have to leave here, essentially. Uh, you know, it's funny you say that because I also feel like I've also seen cases of people within the CSUN circle uh, that move out to Santa Clarita after their lives. Well, it depends if you consider uh, moving from the San Fernando Valley to Santa Clarita as a, a, a massive jump necessarily. But I, I, there's been a few people in the uh, professional network that have grown up and moved out to Santa Clarita. So uh, I've seen it both ways. I know the Santa Clarita Valley is not a hub of like, oh, there's a big texting there or like, oh, there's like lots of labs and like you can find a job but like i've seen the share of people move out there and um it's definitely not a place growing up that as a kid you're like i can't wait to go check it out and when you go to six flags um you learn that it's in valencia and i didn't realize what santa clarita was actually this is going to sound dumb but i did not really even 
really think about it until that Drew Barrymore show came out. So (laughs) (laughs) I know I knew Ryan was from there, but like at the same time, I just didn't think of it as a place, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I hear you guys. I would definitely say that moving from San Fernando to SCV is a big jump because one, you see a lot more mom and pop shops. You see a lot more people out and about. It feels more like it's a place where people live as opposed to like a sitcom place and like where people assume like rich white people would live. She's not going to sugarcoat this, but like looking at the people, it's not just white. It's not just a sea of, of reflective skin. And that's like what Santa Claritans love about Santa Clarita is that it's so homogenous because yeah. like if you like Ryan, you, you've talked to the people out here, you've been to the, the stupid town hall meetings, you've heard what they've said. But it's like, we're not the valley. We're not like them. And you know what they mean, because it's always the same kind of people who are bringing up that that point of view. It's that, like, when they say we're not the valley, they mean we're suburban, we're white, we're conservative, and and fuck everybody else who's not, like, who doesn't look like us, because you're not welcome here. Because you're making our city, you're changing our way of life. And we surprisingly, I think this is now our third consecutive episode bringing that that very thing up about how people out here look over at, uh, you know, they they look over their shoulder and say, you know, well, we don't want Santa Clarita to be like the valley. And I've always used that inflection because I've genuinely heard people say it that way. Like, oh, it's. Oh, yeah. And it's it's very it's sad just because, you know. I think there's more to do and there's more culture certainly in the Valley than there ever will be in Santa Clarita. Mm -hmm. I mean, up here, I mean, that's just it up here. Yeah. We've had a couple of bars that young people have gone to. I know me and prior guest and friend of the show, Emily Alvaranga have gone with our other mutual friend, Caleb Lunetta. But outside of that, it feels so damn isolated that it makes me think back to the wonderful days of turning 21 in West Hollywood. You know, like it was, it's, I mean, SCV needs a gay bar. We do because they would bring like, it's just, there's so much energy in a gay bar. Like, have you ever been to the Abbey? (laughs) Oh, have I been to the Abbey? Oh, you better believe it, Jerry. People who don't know WeHo, like the fact that it's like, it's gay bars and like leather clubs and whatever, like you don't have to be gay to go to them. Like, so yeah. many straight people go to these bars, myself included. I've been to the Abbey like twice. It's just, it's so energetic and nobody cares. Like if you're straight, if you're gay, it's just like, hey, you here to party? Cool. Grab a drink. Let's go. Yeah. No, it's, it's wonderful. I, I believe me, I, I've had times in the last probably at least six months where I've thought back to, to when I would go there with all the Brazilians that I knew in college and. I'm just thinking, wow, those were really fun times. I wish I could have those back again. Growing up in Santa Clarita, I think it's hard to describe it, but it's definitely a lesson for what kind of community you're growing up in, at least in my experience, because with the high school, not even just the high school, the elementary school, the junior high school, and the high school that I went to all were tremendous lessons in showcasing what Santa Clarita is like, or at least what it was like on a demographic level, socially and especially politically. Um, I mean, 
for goodness sake, the number of times I'd heard some of the worst slurs imaginable uttered by people who weren't even yet 13 growing up. Honestly, it should have prepared me for um, the infamous sanctuary city city council meeting where oh my God. Santa Clarita sided with Donald Trump. And there was a bunch of actors and people from out of town going, you know, hallelujah, praise Donald Trump. Ooh, and I had a mental breakdown that day. Oh, like yeah, a legitimate, I, legitimate mental breakdown. Have I told you I, about that? No, you haven't actually. I know, I know I had mentioned to you that was my first, that was the day I got hired for the signal, but I didn't know. Okay, so this was my very first year working for the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival. So, um, like the festival that just ended, this is my first year in box office, and it was really rough, especially back then because um, we still did like a rush line. So, what happens at a screening is that if what we used to do before COVID happened, we had to change everything. The, the system was like there would be a set number of, of course, there's capacity for the screening. Once the film starts, or, or like five minutes before it'll start, um, people who weren't able to get a ticket are able to go up to the box office and say, hey, are there any seats that someone bought a ticket for that aren't claimed or any seats that just weren't sold that I can go in and watch this movie? And so in that mad, just insane dash in the first five minutes where they're still like doing intros and trailers, people are trying to get into whatever screenings they can. We were at the LA Regal, the LA Live Regal, which is a fantastic, beautiful theater. And I've been doing this for going on two weeks at this point, just rush line every every hour or so, and it's just been drained out of my skull. And then I saw posts about what was going on in Santa Clarita. I think it was from Shawnee, who was really posting about it at the time. But I, I just saw what was going on, and, and that like people were siding with Donald Trump. People were saying, like, we we don't want these people here, and that it was a lot of just faked bullshit, people pretending to be from Santa Clarita. And it just, it just I, I couldn't emotionally comprehend both what I was doing at work and just the insanity that was Santa Clarita, because I think that's when I re first realized that Santa Clarita is not a friendly city. Santa Clarita is not a city of good, quote unquote, good people from what I, I can see. Santa Clarita is a very, I want it my way if you're not like me. And I, I'm going to keep saying this, like it's it's very apparent my feelings about Santa Clarita despite living here for so long. But it's like, it's not a city that welcomes you if you're not from Santa Clarita. If you're not yeah. from here originally, you'll you'll never belong here until you look and think and act like us, until you've become one of us. So I just, I couldn't, I Sorry. couldn't. Sorry, you said no, one, I thought you were going to start doing the one of us chant. Sorry. I, you, I, I, I restrained myself, Ryan. You know that I do this all the time, and I had to restrain myself. Um, I do, I do. So un unless unless you're someone who has co-opted the Santa Clarita way of life and become one of us, one mm. of us. You're always going to be kind of an outsider and, and they don't accept you. So I, I just got home that day and like I, my parents make me call them every day. So they know I'm not dead on, on the side of the street. And I just like, I was so frustrated by it because I, it was the shock that my town was not as friendly to people who look like me as I'm a Brown kid. So I've been mistaken as, as Latino for so many times in my life, there's a good chance that these people would try to run me out of town if they could. Um, and right. I just, with the stress of what was going on at work, with my mom being like, no, you will talk to me, you will sit here and you will talk to me about why you're stressed. I don't care, you're not hanging up. And just all of it, like I 
that was the first mental breakdown I ever had. I just sat there and I just cried and I didn't know why. So that was the beginning of, of my, of why I could actually articulate why I hate Santa Clarita. Cause I've always wanted to get out. I've always wanted mm-hmm. to experience life and something more energetic than this sleepy bedroom community. But that's when I fully realized like this town is not aligned with my views and this town would get me, would kick me out if it could. That's brutal. And I mean, like, it's, um, it's something that, you know, other people in Santa Clarita who maybe, you know, obviously there's people who, you know, are on your side who are, weren't, you know, part of that Trump crowd, but yeah, of course, just, get it, which is also frustrating. So, um, I, I, not to switch gears too much, but I'm curious what it's like to then subsequently work in journalism in that, in that region. <laughs> It's a lot of putting on a brave face. Covering news out here is a lot of just swallowing it and just acting. It's putting on that just smile and wave, boys, just smile and wave kind of a thing. Like, in spite of people's, like, I know a lot of people out here who I've talked to probably would rather have, have not talked to me or talked to, and talked to someone who looked like them because they've said as much. Um, or, like, I, I talked to a someone at this 100-year-old's birthday party is like, are you part of the, the liberal news media? I don't, I don't want to talk to no liberal news media folk. <laughs> uh, I, got a, I, got a, oh, I got a you people one time. Oh. Got, uh, it's so nice to see, uh, <laughs> to see you people coming out and, and doing journalism. And I don't know what that meant. I just let it go. Because this was, this was also the trial piece I was doing for the, the signal, and I didn't want to piss anybody off because I needed the job. But I, right. just, I straight up got hit by the you people surrounded by rich white folk in an office that was playing Fox News. Oh, so there's only certain things that you people could mean. And at that point, you just you can choose the fight if you'd like to. I just I'd rather not at this point. But it's a lot of smile and wave. They're going to say it regardless of who they're talking to. You just for the future know who these people are. And kind of know how to navigate around them, and know what they think of you deep down. That's brutal. Yeah, it's not not exactly in the job description either. I mean, speaking of no, it's not. job descriptions <laughs> that are like nine pages long and tell you nothing, like you know that, and that's something too that uh, you know again, a newsroom like that, he who must not be named, are never going to understand. I bet. Yeah, I mean, but it was up. To, it's like the the thing is, is you need people like us here out here who are going to shift that paradigm. Like Ryan, when you took over the faith page at one point, like mm-hmm. I, I, we've, we've personally talked about this all the time. Like the girl who was doing covering it before she was only talking to straight white Christians because she's a straight white Christian. Yep. And so you never heard any perspectives from the Jewish folks out here or for the, um, the Muslim people out here or for the Satanists out here or the atheists. <laughs> and like, as as you started covering this, these people, Ryan, and like as soon as like they took it over for me, they're like, "Oh, wait, where's Ryan?" Because like they'd gotten to know you and they really started to appreciate what you did for them in in bringing their voices out to the forefront. Because Santa Clarita doesn't care about the Muslim people out here. Yeah, my predecessor belonged to one of the churches, and she incorporated a lot of the less material language that was kind of it kind of expected from covering a religious beat but because i'm secular because i 
grew up in a pretty non-religious home and I still consider myself an atheist to this day. And it was it was hilarious too when I brought it up with our editor in chief and I I said fun fact, I'm an atheist and I'm covering this section. And he was like, oh, I, I never would have took you for being an atheist. And I said, well, I'm not an asshole about it. <laughs> you know, it, it's not like I was shown up to every event pulling my Richard Dawkins going, show me the evidence, show me the evidence. And, and no, like I, my goal was covering this from a material standpoint of what is this synagogue doing to help people in the community? Or what is this mosque doing to educate and and engage with with you know everyday Santa Clarita residents and you know it, it was something I I did take pride in despite my initial lack of enthusiasm on it and no you're you're right I mean Santa Clarita is very homogenized it is an area that I think one of our not to really boost the show right now but I'm going to um, one of our most listened to episodes was our episode with Amanda Sinks, where we talked about sort of the history of racism in Santa Clarita. And a large part of that was talking about Bob Keller, the infamous uh, city council, former city council member who once said, um, you know, oh, I've, I've been a alleged, I've been called a racist by people that don't like my views on immigration. Well, and then he said, I'm a proud racist for those views. Again, it is a very homogenous community that has expectations and has deeply rooted strains of hate and violence going way back, way back when, you know, the city didn't exist, but like Newhall did and the Klan was marching down Main Street. But at the same time, you could see it to your point about the one individual who said, you know, if you were part of the liberal press, when I was covering that GOP event, leading up to the 2018 election, and I got to see John Cox, there was no bear for that run. Like, it wasn't like his recall run where he had his bear in all of his commercials. Although, I don't know if I would have gone if there was a bear, just because I don't think I could have dealt with a bear on the loose. Um, But I've seen the second Jurassic Park movie, guys. But, uh, you know, I remember having some guy with very few teeth saying how great it was that I was working with The Signal and saying that we were better than the red rag. He didn't understand. I, I didn't understand him because I'm like the red rag. And he looked at me like I was stupid because he he must have thought I would have known this was a nickname. But I guess he was referring to the L.A. Times because they're such a communist newspaper, which I, you know, and I made this point last time when I brought this up on the show. But if you go back and look at the L.A. Times history, they were pretty much always voting and supporting and helping out Republicans pretty much since like the late 1800s. So due to ruffling noises from one of the mics, Ryan's edited the following. That SB 54 city council meeting definitely shook me to my core. Because at the time I was dating somebody who was not an American, but she wanted to come here and she was also Jewish. And to see this kind of hatred that at the time I genuinely thought was taking us down a much darker road than we've been on. It was so alarming and it really showed me just how repulsive people could be out here. But like you said, Matt, like there were people, 
there was a congressional candidate from Colorado who showed up to this city council meeting. And it was like, what are you doing here? Get out. What, what are you doing talking about supporting Trump suing the state of California over the sanctuary state law? Get out. And there was some creep from Northridge that was saying these horrible things to Shawnee. I mean, it was it really was one of the worst. It, it was probably the worst experience I've had living out here just as much as it was for you. And I believe me, I think about that every once in a while. I mentioned it in my last piece for the Proclaimer. You know, I, I straight up mm-hmm. said there's solace in witnessing the steps towards greater inclusion, something I could not have imagined on the eve of the SB 54 city council meeting almost four years ago. To fast forward a little bit in terms of things that we covered with the Proclaimer, because I probably should also note to listeners, uh, not only did Matt and I work together at The Signal, but I brought Matt aboard as one of our staff writers for the Proclaimer. And I should... I know I've probably said this to you before, but Matt, you 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 were a real shot in the arm. You were a phenomenal phenomenal asset to the publication, and I I have to say I can't thank you enough for accepting coming back. I know easing back into journalism after you know the the experiences we had at the Signal was not easy, but it was I, I should note, and I Drew was my first boss. And seeing him as editor in chief was the template for how I led the Proclaimer. I hope that's a good thing, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm curious to hear you know Matt's feedback. But you know, by all accounts, I I imagine everything was was good. But I mean, <laughs> it's just funny because like I assume both of you didn't take any you know best practices from he who must not be named or the signal necessarily i mean i know journalism is pretty straightforward but uh you know proclaimer versus uh you know signal um i can't imagine the signal runs their you know journalism business very much that much differently but um i mean both of you i mean how liberating was it to be in the proclaimer versus the signal also i just realized now another reason why i, I don't like the skype is that i i changed my microphone to like my actual mic and then when i find when we started the call it switched it back to my headphone mic so if there's a change in audio quality i just put it to my actual real like expensive mic that i own instead of this shitty inline mic that i have dangling from my head yeah you sound great okay well and believe me though i i did that one i've done that at least once so don't worry okay you're in you're in good company Okay. Well, I'm just let me just say about Ryan being in charge of the the proclaimer. You pretty much let me do what I want, which was very liberating. And like Drew, tell me tell me if you would be interested in reading a piece about this, right? So, I found out that there was a a thing where um there's this company that rarely ever comes to like America and they were coming to Santa Clarita to host a a workshop where they would teach people how to forge and make their own swords and people who were attending would actually do it like in a, in a single day you were going to learn how to make a sword and make one does, does that sound like something interesting that you would want to read about oh, of course okay because at the signal they're like um i don't think that anyone would want to read about that okay i mean i feel like that's like journalism 101 news judgment like swords like what did they prefer like ghost gun workshops what can <laughs> top 
it's so unique and interesting. It is the definition of, you know, what makes an interesting local story. Right. So I, in my estimation, Ryan, you would have let me cover that. Yes. Hell yeah. When you told me that was like a story that you wanted to work on, I'm thinking to myself, what are these fools doing telling you no? You can't just keep covering the same fundraisers. Yeah. And considering how like I was kind of the weird kid in the signal who like would find these really weird stories and then other news outlets would just like look at what I was doing and then do a story about what I've already done. So the fact that they didn't trust my judgment at that point, like I, I did a story about like this place out here that taught kids how to like lightsaber fight and they would go to competitions and stuff. Like there's an actual studio out here that does lightsaber competitions other news outlets picked up on it and just copied me and then there's people i've interviewed the same thing i'd interview them people would find out and then they'd copy me and the fact that the signal didn't understand how to capitalize on that and didn't trust me tells you a lot about how they would run their business as opposed to ryan who like yeah i trust you go do what you want as long as it's a good story we'll run it i'd never heard anything like that happening at the signal and i you know i i I, I, and it's funny, too, because I do there are some familiar faces at this signal, for instance, yes, the uh, the editor here, but also um, I don't know if you're there when there was a Timothy White involved, like mm-hmm. there's a familiar cast of characters. And I mean, you know, I don't think any of them were renowned for remarkable journalism at the Sundown or I mean, at uh, Kelsey Northridge, you know, no offense, they were perfectly fine, but. Um, it sounds like the signal was a very, <clears throat> excuse me, a very clear reflection of the community itself. So that's that's uh, that's lame. They didn't know how to manage staff. It's like, for example, like th- this is going to be a fictional scenario, but it's going to be totally in character of what they do. So, Drew, say you're the editor in chief of a newspaper, right? And you've got a, a, a writer on your staff who understands let's say let's say they're a sports writer they they know all the sports they are they've played a lot of sports in high school um and imagine they... pete drew yeah <laughs> yeah okay. okay so so imagine this individual what section would you put them on sports <laughs> no that's you're gonna put, you're gonna put them on home and garden you're putting them on home and garden that's what that's what they're writing about now because <sighs> sports are played outdoors duh like what the hell no no not what? even that's just like you know what <laughs> I think that Home and Garden would be something that I want to put in this in, in our section. So let's get the guy who has no idea about Home and Garden to write it. It's kind of that thing. It's just, you know what? I'm feeling like you're going to do this today. This is going to be your beat now. And so when you they're going to do that. And then when they come in the the next week, what, what section are they writing? Are they writing Home and Garden again, Drew? Now that you've assigned it to them? I'm scared to answer. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, they're not. Because you know what they're writing about this week? They're writing the faith page. Because, no, I didn't assign you Home and Garden last week. What are you talking about? You're doing the faith page now. <sighs> yeah, I mean, you know, and you, and it's funny, too, because even going back to the beginning of this conversation, faith is not a beat that I've, you know, typically seen on papers uh, for having, you know, done my own fair amount of traveling around. And faith, I, I, I can say that, the, the signal might be the other than like, you know, your New York Times, LA Times, big boys. Like, I don't remember any other seeing any other local paper that had a faith beat. So talk about like having something unique on your resume. I mean, you could say that, 
so you know that's a point for you guys but faith beat is really out there to begin with <laughs> I, I never heard of a faith beat in college i would imagine that really shakes you when you're you know you learn about journalism one way and you grow up reading media and then you land in a newsroom and you think you're in the real world and uh you know weird things happen so gosh like what 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 an experience to like you know in your early career the standard was typically if you got out of college with an emphasis and you ended up working there, you didn't get to cover your emphasis. That's just it. Matt wanted to cover entertainment and was lucky when he did. I wanted to cover politics. Typically, the people covering politics, I, I won't name names, but I do recall one person who covered it once straight up said to me, I don't know the difference between Democrats and Republicans. That's just a funny statement because uh, maybe they are a big brain thinking and you're just like Democrats and Republicans, man. They're the same thing, but it didn't sound like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have to ask Matt, like, so like, uh, and you know, I've I've talked to Ryan plenty, so I kind of think I kind of get the sense. But like for for you, Matt, I'm curious, like, how much does an experience like that as a young journalist like shake you? Because gosh, like your first real professionalism job, or you know. Maybe you get a few assignments here or there, but like your first like beat or like you're seeing your name in, in, in a real print publication and then having it not go so swell. I mean, th does that give you like, does that just give you pause? Does that tell you like maybe this industry is not it? Like, obviously you're still writing, so I know it didn't shake you, but I, I don't want to use the word traumatizing. But like, how difficult is that to just like have a rough go when you finally hit the real journalism world? Oh, please use the word traumatizing because okay. it was um so i like I, I came from daily bruin first yeah and then i moved to variety so these are big publications yeah. like the, the daily bruin will hit probably in a single day what the signal will hit in a month it is mm -hmm. the daily bruin was the number three most read publication in los angeles i believe at, at the time that i was writing for them so i'm not a stranger to having my name in print and, and with variety like i broke news that like broke the internet like, I don't know if you ever read the piece where it's like Liam Neeson says he's unretired from action movies. That was my God, piece. Yeah. That was oh, my man. piece. I was on the I was like, I didn't know at the time. But my friends like you are on the front page of Reddit right now. Your name is on the front page of Reddit. So coming in and going from that those highs to just yep. the chaos of the signal was it, it was I, I don't want to say it was it shook me. But I, I felt like it was a huge come down because they they teach you in these other publications is to write what you know and to use your people how they're most effective. And the signal didn't know how to do that. And I felt like I mean, I, I'd gone through a little bit of bullying at Variety from an exec who didn't know me. Um, and apparently she this is not the first per time that she'd done it. She'd done it to other people. So there was a bit of solidarity there. But it's like the signal didn't know how to use its people and it didn't really know how to kind of respect its people all that much and even now like the signal i don't feel like respect me because i had a little bit of an incident i don't know if we'll go into it here but i had an incident that i talked with ryan and consulted like with other journalists about it's like can they do this is this okay it was a very toxic work environment and now that i'm in the current job that i'm in uh, which is a, a decidedly non-toxic environment i just i had to unlearn how to behave in a workplace that is toxic and just kind of slow myself down and, and 
I don't know if I'm phrasing this right, but I had to learn how to operate in an environment that wasn't going to traumatize me. If that makes any sense at all. No, it's like mm-hmm. you had your guard up, I, I would imagine. And yeah, like from going from those highs, because yeah, like no, no offense. And I don't want the title of this podcast to be like, fuck the signal. But like, I, I, <laughs> I, I, like, I totally understand like, I, like where you're coming from. But yeah, like after those highs, I can only, I can only imagine I've, you know, I haven't touched anything like that. So I can only imagine that experience, but mm-hmm. it, it didn't break you. So <laughs> props to you, you know, because, um, you know, unfortunately, I'm sure we all know like somebody out there who whose journalism dreams got crushed because of a bad. I mean, first I needed experience. the paycheck. How else am I going <laughs> to buy comic books, yo? <laughs> there were other people that left working there and left journalism almost completely, which is a shame. And I know, you know, we've talked about it on the show before about, especially within the current climate of great resignation and the great mismatch and the great reshuffle. You know, all these terms that are accurate one way or another of the current job market. And it's certainly something I feel like I've been experiencing in terms of looking for work, but it really is a detriment when you have people that know what they're, that know what they're capable of, know what they can do as a journalist. And then they're brought on board to cover something that is so out of their wheelhouse. I remember there were times I was asked to cover sports games when I was working there. And I, I think I, I took photos for a baseball game at a high school, but that was about it. Like I, it was so out of my wheelhouse that the idea that this was something that I would potentially need to cover even more in depth was really daunting. And, mm. you know, I think there was one game that I was asked, you know, Ryan, if you can cover this, we're good. But if you can't, then we're not going to cover it at all. And I was like, look, I'd love to cover it, but... I'm the wrong person you should be asking to cover this event. And then fast forward that to when I got you on board with Proclaimer. I actually have the story up in front of me. I made sure bringing you back into journalism that, because I think the first story I had you work on was about our lovely congressman. Oh, um, yeah. Who we only we only referred to him last week as a fighter pilot. We didn't really get too in-depth on the congressional race when we talked about California voter guy that honestly that might be an episode the three of us will talk about down the road I made sure with that virtual town hall which was I should note Drew the first one that our congressman had had since getting elected narrowly and just because this is this is an individual Mike Garcia this is somebody who does not like talking to the press um, following the Trump model even though it must be said Trump couldn't stop talking to the press, no matter how much he thought they were fake news, um, just to boost his own ego. This guy did have a, a virtual town hall. I was on the call with Matt. It was one of those things where it's like, I want to make sure if there's anything noteworthy or anything that people out here really need to hear, that we catch it. And also just to help him out in terms of making sure it was a good story. And again, also helping you get back into journalism not only just to cover something like this, but just cover whatever you wanted to cover. That story got a ton of views after it went up uh, with the headline, I should note, of, quote, I am not a supporter of QAnon. Garcia holds first 2021 town hall, which, of course. OK, you're not a supporter and you've never heard of it. Well, ask your brother that working with the Daily Bruin and Variety 
what was it that got you into wanting to cover entertainment journalism? Because I know over the years I've known a lot of people, myself included, who love the love to just hop at the opportunity of being an entertainment reporter, a film critic, um, you know, a panelist, whether it's for RIP Collider Movie Talk or, you know, there's a ton of outlets out there on YouTube where you've got people that get to talk about news and they get to cover things as more or less as a journalist. Shout out to Christian Harloff. But what was it about entertainment that really pulled you in? Okay, so this is an actual story. So I've been, I mean, I've been obsessed with like TV, movies, video games, a lot of things since I was a kid because um, just the way I was raised, I wasn't allowed to like really go out and hang out with friends or or do things. And like the only time I would ever get to to do things and like watch TV and stuff was on the on from Friday, Saturday, Sunday because the rest was school nights. So it just became like a very special thing for me to be able to go watch a movie or to watch TV or just to sit with my my Game Boy for an hour or my GameCube. So just growing up with that kind of, I guess, elevation and like putting entertainment on a pedestal, I've all, I always wanted to work in like movies and stuff and be an entertainer, be an actor. So I went into college because I, I got into LMU for film. I got into a bunch of the CSEs for film, but I didn't get into it for UCLA. But I just eventually decided to go to UCLA. I'll minor in film and I'll see what I can do from there. Uh, I joined Daily Bruin because I joined I, – I was taking a documentary class. Um, the head editor of the video department at the time, Aldrin Masungai, he – he came in and he's like, hey, we have opportunities. If you are interested in documentary film, we Daily Bruin Video does short documentary. Give us a shot. So I'm like, huh, this would be a good way for me to understand how to like use a camera, how to edit and how to tell a story. So I applied and I got it. Uh, fast forward to about a year later, I'm sitting in one of the theaters of the in, in Westwood, one of the two we have. I think it was the the village theater, the bigger one, not the. Not the Bruin Theater, which is the smaller one, um, the one with the balcony. Mm. So I was sitting there, and then comes on an ad for the entertainment section of the LA Times, and I'm like, huh, I can write. I can do that. Let me write for the, the Daily Bruin Entertainment section. So I applied, and I did. And then it was a lot of fun. It was like I got to to write about movies. I got to write my own column. I got to interview a lot of interesting people. Fast forward to graduating college, I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew that people had interned with Variety. I was familiar with Variety from a very long time, and it was literally like right down the street from UCLA. So I'm like, okay, let me apply and let me see what I can do with this. They accepted me. I'm like, oh, damn, okay. Um, I'm actually, I have a job after college. This is great. And this is like a field that I'm very interested in. And then from there, it's just like, it was always an adventure. I'm talking to like people who are on the big screen every day. I'm going to like premiere events for, for movies and stuff. So it's like me being just a very adventurous person. Like I, I honestly, it's weird to say it like this because I know there's people who are passionate about covering other topics, but like, I don't see why I would ever cover any other topic in news when mm -hmm. it's like, 
it's just so much fun. And like, even though it's some people see it as frivolous, I see covering entertainment as studying the history and culture of an era in real time, because you're Mm. seeing what people like, you're seeing what the culture values. You're seeing what is important to people. You're seeing like what's reflected in the food, the entertainment, like you study history and you have to study like, oh, this was an important film because it, it did this, blah, blah, blah. Or the music of the era reflected this, blah, blah, blah. And like by covering pop culture, you don't have like you're not able to kind of dissect it in the way that you can in history with the um, the benefit of, of hindsight. But you're you're kind of discovering how things are shaping and, and where the trends are moving, like I said, in real time. So whenever people like are saying like, oh, you're just writing about movies and TV and stuff, that's not important. It's like, no, 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 it is. Because like when you study the 2010s, the 2020s, you're also going to look at how our media influenced how we thought and behaved. And for a lot of the times, you're going to look at these primary sources that we've written. So that's how I got into entertainment journalism. Long story short. Or no, long story long. It was still a very long rambling story, but that's why entertainment for me became the focus. No, oh, hey, this this whole episode's about you, so it's you know I feel, feel so special. Feel <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the most profound like statements I've heard on like entertainment reporting. Like I, I mean, I don't mean to sound what like uh, facetious or anything like that. Like seriously, because. Um, you know, I, I came up as a sports reporter and I'd always kind of feel self-conscious, like I'm not reporting anything important. And then, you know, there's a lot of think pieces out there about like why sports are important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sure. But um, the way you described it about entertainment, that's a really interesting way to put it, because, you know, the biggest actors of our day, the biggest writers of our day. You know, it's funny that you uh, earlier said the, the Liam Neeson piece that he's unretired from action films because, um, you know, that's a guy who went from going to, you know, Schindler's List and other serious movies to, um, you know, being an action star. And then we started making fun of old people being action stars and things like that. And like, it's, it's not silly to say that that has like a cultural impact. So you got my you got my brain stirring there. Like, that was a really interesting way to put it. And like, Drew, you don't have to like defend covering sports to me ever because I cover esports on a podcast like <laughs> Come on. This is the geekiest, like most inconsequential shit ever. Although it's not because it's looking at the evolution of sports and how now sports is not just simply defined as a physical activity. You've got like esports is is an insane world in itself. It, it's not something that for the entertainment piece or perspective, at least it's not something that I, I came up with overnight. It just it's something that I, I had to like really discover and think about how. Not necessarily how to defend my job to people, but to contextualize it in a way that would like to give it the weight that it deserves, I would say. Like right now, I'm trying to get in contact with Joe Coy to do uh, a piece oh, wow. about his his um his upcoming Netflix special and his film uh, Easter Sunday that's coming out. His his show Joseph is actually not being picked up. It's being retooled. So I don't know if he'll want to talk about that. But I mean, like for me, like. On one hand, it's like I get to talk to Joe Coy, which is really cool. The main purpose of that article for me is is a reflection on like how is why is Filipino culture now being so lauded and discovered by so many people? And and why is it only now? Like, why is it important for Joe Coy, who's half Filipino, half white, to lean into that Filipino 
perspective of things and how does it and how how what challenges has he had to face being of a culture that not a lot of people know of or that's been pretty much just made the butt of the joke of asian cultures for so long a, a culture that i was like growing up for me it's like oh you're not asian you're pacific islander or oh you're just like a beaner of asia or or, or some other racist horrible horrible things like i've been called fish face because like i'm asian but not asian enough or, or whatever or, or some stuff but like now you look at dante bosco who came out with fabulous filipino brothers you've got olivia rodrigo um back in the day you had rob schneider but he's not really doing much right now um you've got um Darren Chris, who's like also very openly Filipino, um, you had the the Trese series in Netflix, and so it's like we're seeing it now. But what led it up to here? Why are we seeing it now? Why is it important to see it now? Why do we care that we're seeing it now? And, and just kind of bringing all of this to the forefront. Yeah, a lot of people aren't going to care, but for the people like me who like I wanted to be an actor as a kid, I've always wanted to be a superhero, and my friends telling me of like i had to i came to the realization that like oh my god my skin color isn't the right color to be a superhero like seeing people now sharing my story and my experience is like i cried when i first saw joe coy's live in seattle special because i'd never heard someone tell me my life like that and when people say like why does it matter for diverse representation why don't we just all treat people the same and, and not worry about it but the thing is like we we aren't there yet we're not close to there and so it, it's so important to to tell these stories and to explore why they're important through both the film the making of this media and the exploration through journalism that like if if, if after this explanation you don't understand it you either are willfully misunderstanding it or just aren't on that level of social maturity and understanding yet. To, to briefly go back to some of the stuff that you worked on with the Proclaimer, this was always something I adored with your work, was, you know, for example, your Heroes of Color story that you worked on, which is now over, a little over a year old, believe it or not. Wow. I love um, David Heredia. I, I wrote the story about this guy, David Heredia. He's such a nice guy. He's, he's so nice. He's so cool. I, I still need to meet him. It's one of those things where I, I hopefully down the road we could get him on the show. And that way, oh, I, I, he's a local to dude. The two of you. I'm sure he'd be happy to. He's all, he's he's such a nice person. It's such a uh, he's such such a good perspective on things. Drew, context for of another reason why the Santa Clarita is so awful and why the signal is like ugh readership. Um, he, This is a guy who you, you read the article, right? about david yeah yeah, yeah right so yeah first one I read, yeah he, he's he's pushing for diversity he's he's trying to help kids like with an education he wrote a book about like people of color who made a historical impact that haven't really been celebrated and one of the first articles i wrote about him was he was giving like a i think it was a free seminar at the local college on people how to be better entrepreneurs and the, one of the comments that was on the signal website was just racial slurs against him and it's just like are you serious this man is like one you don't know him two he's like he's so he's such a, a humble and an awesome person three he's doing something for the community and all you can think of is to make a derogatory comment about his race are you serious is 
okay, this is this is the Santa Clarita I've come to know and expect. It's in, it's infuriating, but it's not surprising. So that's that's my rant about David and my history covering him. Not to keep tying it back in with the whole faith beat that I had, but I had an article talking about Ramadan, and this, as far as I know, it was the first time the Signal had ever actually covered uh, any Ramadan-related events happening within the Santa Clarita Valley, and the responses to that on Facebook were abominable. They were horrible. And to give him credit, our our editor-in-chief at the time went out of his way and wrote a column basically saying, you know what? I, I don't get all the people screaming, why didn't you cover Lent or why didn't you do this, that and the other? We, you know, we've not we haven't done this before. And it deserves recognition. And, yeah, we've covered all these other holidays countless times. But Ramadan is something that we've just not done with you. And, you know, he basically talked about, you know, how we can't be lumping Islam with terrorism. And, you know, to just to quote him as well. From his column, I noticed that our seemingly innocuous story about Ramadan from the Saturday Faith page had caused a bit of a stir on the Signal's Facebook page. Uh, Then someone said, why don't you delete the offensive posts? And that was a fair question. I'd been the fly that weekend, so I wasn't on the computer much. I'd been on the fly is what I meant. Not the fly, not Brundle fly. Uh, Sorry. But I firmly understand this is a 24-7, 365 job, and we have to be responsible for monitoring such things every day. So I went in and deleted the most offensive posts. You delete one offensive bigoted post, and another one pops up. You try to do something nice by including a story on the local Muslim community and your faith coverage. Heck, that's that's really just us doing our job. Then you catch hell from the religious right because they think you're now ignoring Christian stories, which you're not. And you also catch hell from the okay from the left because you weren't waiting with a hair trigger to immediately delete okay that that that, that I gotta nah. um deleted the whole damn thread it had just become a cycle of delete a post a new one pops up delete a post a new one pops up I think it I could be wrong and, and Matt correct me if I am I want to say it ended up resulting in the post Facebook post getting deleted altogether I don't remember this particular story but it, it makes sense. The thing with the proclaimer was that, you know, obviously there were cer- certain things I didn't want to get into when it came to feeding certain issues that were just going to pander to either Republicans or Democrats out here. But at the same time, I wasn't going to ignore any opportunities for talking about advancements in the region's diversity, because let's face it, the SB 54 meeting is still the worst thing I've ever seen in this town. And it's to this day, it still tarnishes and, and granted everything else I've seen in this town just upholds the horror that I saw that night. But at the same time, this is an, a community that is becoming more diverse. It is becoming less homogenized to a degree. And politically speaking, it is more democratic than Republican. And especially thanks to redistricting with Simi Valley totally removed from the equation. As I've said, I think I said it last week with Andrew, like it's, it calls into question what the hell's going to happen in November, just because it's a terrible time to be a democratic politician, but we now live in an area where, you know, the, the cards are stacked against Republicans. So, but taking politics out of the equation, yeah, I mean, covering David Heredia and especially another story you did that I 
have in front of me that I, I just, I adore it. I, I don't know if I've ever told you how much I love this story, but I really do. Um, and it was the story you wrote about a la Brava by Caden Phoenix. Oh, that uh, one. Yeah. About all of the like Chicana superheroes and how she was building it up into this sort of Avengers style event. That's something that never Never in our wildest dreams we would have seen covered for the signal, but it totally deserves recognition just because this is showing the artistic side of the area, and especially it's showing that there are people out here that aren't the that aren't the people that were foaming at the mouth at that SB54 event. I know that was a lot, Drew. I don't know if you still remember the point you were going to make. Um, maybe not the exact. <laughs> But I think, you know, uh, I do like that juxtaposition. And uh, yeah, you know, Ryan, uh, you know, was sending me some of your latest or the, the pieces for the, like the Alabrava piece and um, the. Um, oh, my God, the name is losing me. The, the uh, David, oh, Heredia. David Heredia. Yeah. Yes. And um, and it's just like, yeah, well, one, to the point that Ryan was making about, you know, stuff you'd never see in the signal. But two. You know, I think, you know, and I don't want to just like start patting each other on the back for the rest of the podcast. But it's like that's the kind of stuff that makes you want to just like be a journalist and write about that kind of stuff. You get that, you know, when you get take journalism classes like journalism 101, it's like, what's our purpose? <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that's kind of it right there. And, um, you know, it kind of just reaffirms your faith in journalism. And like, you know, I don't want to get too positive, but I mean, like Matt, like doing that kind of stuff, like how reaffirming is that? Like just to, to just like, you know, know that you, you go from the signal and then you go to the reclaimer where we talk about, you know, how much freedom you have, but it's just like, must feel nice too. Like, just like, you know, I'm giving voice to the voices, like just to Ryan's point, you know, these guys would have never been in the signal, you know, and it's not like they would have never been in the LA times or anything either, but it's like the LA times isn't even going to like look at these guys. Cause you know, unfortunately, you know, the LA times might be too big for it, but uh, I don't know. That's the kind of stuff that I see. And then it's like, it's a sort of reminder of like why I'm doing this job. So I'm sure you feel, you know, some semblance of the same way. It's, it's for me, it's like just talking to interesting people and share their stories. Like I really enjoy human interest pieces and just talking to people one-on-one -on -one about like what their story is, what their deal is, why they're doing it. And a lot of the time, let's just throw all what we've been saying to this episode. It's like the signal and just journalism out in Santa Clarita doesn't, give the diversity isn't there unless it's for a specific celebration or holiday you know mm -hmm. yeah like aapi month oh go do something filipino okay go go do now white people coverage and stuff yeah and that and that's a total journalism problem too i mean you know the whole you know black history month like why just a month how about like Black history, well, integrate it into your everyday culture. And I realize places like Santa Clarita, you know, it's going to be generations, probably decades before places like Santa Clarita, you know, are fully, you know, these Gen Z, Gen Zers, <laughs> these boomers are long gone and, you know, these attitudes fade away. It's going to take generations, but, you know, it takes things like the proclaimer to be, you know, giving that voice and, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, in, in just thinking about the industry at large, it's just disheartening to know that, you know, those local voices are dying. But I'm glad to know that, you know, there's people like us that are keeping it alive. But, um, 
Yeah, I know how frustrating it is. Um, small small time journalism is hard enough as it is to logistically do, let alone you know sell it to somebody or get somebody to read it. Yeah, I don't know if I had a point necessarily, but really just to uh, you know ramble on about how local journalism is so important, but it's uh, it's brutal to uh, not only get it logistically going, like something like the Proclaimer, as Ryan knows very well, but like. Mm. Um, just to get you know people to even notice you and uh, get a community to change, but you got to start somewhere. And especially, and I guess this kind of dovetails a little bit into, and again, we don't need to get too much into it, just because it has been talked about a lot on the, in the in the past on this show. But when you look at the state of journalism today, Matt, I guess what would be to, bar- to borrow the term that I used for our season one finale, um, I guess what would be your diagnosis of it and i know obviously that's it's kind of a big question that i know we could probably spend another hour just going going into hell that was kind of part and parcel with andrew's first appearance ever on this show but um it seems to me like entertainment journalism is probably going to be fine compared with a lot of the other traditional methods of reporting on you know, community news, politics, I guess business to a degree. Like it, do you see entertainment journalism surviving whatever weird existential crisis journalism has been in? And again, what what do you sort of see as being the state of journalism now? It's funny you're asking me this because I had a friend texting me this morning. He wants to change industries. He's thinking about like either teaching, editing, or journalism. Oh um, boy. And I'll get to that later, but like I think entertainment journalism journalism is going to be fine because people want to know, like it, for for people not thinking about it like a cultural experience in real time and historical study in real time, a lot, for a lot of people it's escapism. It's like they want to see, they want to know what their what's happening with their favorite TV shows. They want to know what their favorite actors are doing. They want to know what projects are coming down the pipeline or how their favorite book series is coming to life. Things like that. They want to get that exposure into a world that they themselves are not familiar with and they want to get as close as possible to the people who make them feel good through their movies and their TV shows and their music or whatever. So I think entertainment journalism is going to survive for a decent amount of time. I think sports, similarly, people want to know how their teams are doing. So I think like those kinds of fields will be better. I think like national coverage of politics should be okay because like people will read it. No one cares about local journalism really anymore. So that's why a lot of publications are dying because when you can get your news for free online and or just like go on Twitter or something like why are you going to pay for a subscription to your local paper it's it sucks but like people don't want to pay for things that they can get for free unless they like really are devoted to the art the artist or the the whatever the source it is um just in regards to like journalism state as it is what i told my buddy is there's no goddamn jobs. There's like no opportunity unless you know people and are in the inside already or you've happened to get an internship, which, again, is very hard to do because there's so few opportunities and like publications are closing left and right. And the ones that either 
the ones that do give you internships, are they going to let you write or are you just there to send emails? I was really lucky with Variety because I was writing first day and they were paying me on top of it. And like, that's so rare because a lot of the time companies will use internships as just free labor in the interest of you getting college credit. So that's me over here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so internship. Uh, What's that? <laughs> it's a it's a unicorn. It's the needle in the hay field, Ryan. Ah. Not in the haystack in the hay field. Oh, so I I honestly think that journalism is not I wouldn't recommend people going into it unless like you really, really want to do this. Unless this is something that you're willing to like really chase. Like you don't even and the thing is you don't even need to like get a journalism degree to go into journalism now. Like, I was telling you, Ryan, I don't even know if he who must not be named actually, like, even finished his degree. Not anything against him, but it's like, it just goes to show you don't need to get a degree to be in journalism. You just have to have writing skills, an internship, and know the right people. After years of, years of, of, like, trying to get in contact with Variety again, like, a month after I got my current job, they're like, hey, we have a TV writer job open. Do you want it? I remember Um, you telling me about that. Yeah, and it's like, God damn it, if you'd only talked to me a month before, I would have absolutely taken this. But it's again, it's like I just happen to know certain folks at Variety who know that I've been trying to get in contact with them everywhere else I've applied to in L.A. The only other place that ever talked to me besides Variety about this was TMZ. And I got one interview and that was it. Thankfully, like my my buddy I work with now, Dorian, he owns um geeks of color and he's been letting me like i did one piece with him about like trese and filipino culture and i'm doing trying to do the joel coy one with him for that but it's like again i just happened to work with the guy and i found out that he has a a thing and i asked him like hey can i write for you um so that's the state of journalism it's 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 like going to a frat party who do you know here (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing harder just because I, Matt Matt knows my uh, part of my history, and yeah. certainly Drew does too. Oh yeah, <laughs> tell me I'm wrong. That's a, tell me I'm wrong. No. That's one of the better analogies I've heard about it, and it's true. It's really who you know, and you know, it just makes you think. Like, yeah, again to that earlier point, it's just like you know, how many people have left the industry? Um, you know, there's more at the same time more avenues are opening up. You know, with you yeah. know, there's a, with all the proclaimers out there, there's also, unfortunately, you know, more proclaimers out there that have closed or like, you know, more journalists underneath more he who should not be named out there. There's a lot of mm-hmm. those out there, too, that are also ruining journalism careers. So I know every industry is tough, but sometimes this industry seems like it's really rough. What's interesting like, for me, though, is that there are like smaller, like independent folks who are still out there and thriving, like Geeks of Color, I know is I, I as far as I'm aware, is doing pretty well. I met a girl at one point uh, whose her name is Taylor Ferber. She has her own thing. I think it's called Talk to Me Taylor, and like she's doing amazingly. Like she's mm. like go. She's going all around the world. People are asking her to cover entertainment journalism. Um, but she like carved out her own niche. So it, it's interesting to me like how small people can like set up their own channel, and as long as like people find you entertaining, you can be a journalist. It's like you don't really need a lot of training and you don't have to go through the 
the traditional channels anymore. You have the internet. It's just that's where the challenge is, is like you are on the internet. So how do you cut through the, the white noise? Even to the point about people trying to break into journalism that don't even have maybe not necessarily the experience, but certainly they don't have the educational pedigrees for it. I mean, I knew somebody back in the day who, um, you know, they graduated, I think, with like a filmmaking they were like a filmmaking major and their collateral or minor was like geography. And they're working with a local network that's tied to a very big company. Take a shot because I'm going to mention him. But I, I, I know there was an interview Christopher Hitchens once did when he was asked about the university that he went to in the UK and whether or not they had a journalism program. Because he essentially graduated with like a sort of a, a combination of business and political science. And he didn't really think a journalism major was all that necessary, not only speaking for himself, but just speaking for everybody else that he knew who, I mean, this was a guy who went to college in the 60s and 70s, but that was considered a golden age of journalism. And I mean, you know, Bob Woodward had a background in the military and he ended up a weekend reporter at the Washington Post. So it's it raises a lot of questions about pursuing journalism, you know, at a, at a college level and the idea that it's going to translate into something after the fact. It just kind of makes you wonder, like, well, is this just a matter of luck or is this just a matter of the field itself on an educational level isn't taken seriously by its own industry? Go be an actor. Um, there's more stability. <laughs> yeah well, or um we're broadcast too talking about colleges like you know i i personally know no broadcast journalists but that is the one aspect of journalism where i feel like you do need to go to school but maybe i'm mistaken mm -hmm. i don't know any broadcasters i know one michelle logan is in like dc now doing weather or something most of the people that i recognized from csun's journalism department who are in broadcast are still working in broadcast now and, and and they've pretty much had the same job, or at least they've been working with the same news outlet since they graduated. I've known people that have just graduated who are now working, who are working in broadcast straight out of college without an internship. So it's, it's a really bizarre time now more. I mean, obviously everybody says it, oh, now more than ever, now more than ever. Seriously, now more than ever, it's the weirdest time you start to feel a little bit like Woody because all the Buzz Lightyears now have jobs. Um, but it, it's anyway, I'm not projecting. Um, now, how did you get into acting? Or as John Lovitz would say, <laughs> acting. All right. So I said I've always wanted to, to kind of be an entertainer. I've always been a very animated person. I've always been a storyteller. Seriously, I had no like reservations about like going up and grabbing the mic and performing when i was a kid like i would just literally just grab the mic and start babbling or whatever like in, in the weirdest situations i was always okay with being the center of attention um it's it wasn't until like my my awkward teenage years when i'm like oh wait no i don't i don't want to talk to people because i'm weird and kind of uh um but it, it kind of like the first play that i was actually in with a, an actual role not counting like school plays or whatever um i was just kind of noodling around on the uh the interwebs on on the book face 
And I saw a posting at UCLA. There was, I think it was the one of the Chinese student unions was putting on a performance of what they called um, the People versus William White, which was a um, an interpretation of Twelve Angry Men, except kind of through an Asian American lens. And I landed like, it's, I think it's like one of the two lead jurors. Like, there's the one who's like, uh, we should we we should not execute this guy just out of our own like we have to make sure we go down every single like proper avenue and there's like the really angry one who's just like no we kill this fool now and let's get get home before the game's over or something um i was the the angry let's kill this fool now one and so from there um i moved back to santa clarita and like we only had one performance of that it was a one night only thing um and then i'm like okay i landed the lead in that let's i know santa clarita has theater let's see what we can do so i found a post online that they were doing auditions for i think it was the line the witch in the wardrobe didn't get anything unless it was going to be like in the ensemble and like i, I don't want to do that uh then there was another audition for importance of being earnest and then i went to that and then i got one of the leads i got um well it's not even a big play but i got algernon so and mm-hmm. i I, per, I played him as paris hilton like in my head, this is like what Paris Hilton would be if Paris was a, a man back in whatever British era this was in. So that was a lot of fun. And then I just kind of like started doing more, more productions out here. Like there was, I did like some other stuff like behind the scenes back when I was still in Westwood. It was more like just helping PA and like writing things. But like the acting thing really came from being out here in Santa Clarita. And it's like, I, I don't really know anyone out here who is like doing like short film and whatever, but I know that there's people out here doing theater. And if I'm trying to get exposure to acting, this is it. And I think the one real quote that really pushed me to do it more was, I think it was Judd Apatow who said like, why would I hire just some dude who's like, trust me, I, I, I can do this role. Like you just give me this one shot. Why would I give him the shot as opposed to the kid who's been busting his ass in community theater, like learning the craft. If I'm going to give just a nobody a shot, I'm going to give it to that guy. So that's the kind of like idea that went in my head. It's like, I'm going to build experience community and like my acting chops until the day comes where I'm in the right place at the right time with the right people. And then maybe I'll get a shot. That's that's how I got the acting bug. I became a theater kid in my twenties. I live very many, I live several different lives, Ryan. Tell us a little bit about the podcasts you're working on, in case uh, I don't know. You know, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe we do like a crossover, I, or you know, we I bring so, universes together. You never know. So the first podcast that I do, um, it's hosted through the Believe Podcast Network. It's called Believe in Overwatch League because we were hired to talk about the Overwatch League and build up their esports presence. Like for the first, for like we do typically kind of like two halves per week whenever the Overwatch League is on. We have like our general like news and entertainment and gaming section, and then we kind of like break off and then discuss what's happened in the Overwatch League. It's not by any means a very good podcast. It's just me and my co-host Kevin just like talking about geeky things and like having the podcast on our resume. Um, and then this was like this was an opportunity I found on LinkedIn. Actually, around the same time that I was doing The Importance of Being Earnest, I was like applying to things on LinkedIn and I happened to land this opportunity just by applying. So LinkedIn can work. It doesn't often work, but it can. Um, And then the other podcast that I'm on, Finding Founders, I am one of the um, audio producers for that. 
a lot of my opportunities I found through social media. So like I was just I had just been laid off of the signal. I didn't know what I was doing with myself. And then I saw this opportunity on Facebook. It's like, hey, we're looking for people who want to join our podcasting team. And I'm like, I already do the Believe in Overwatch League podcast. I have the equipment. I want to see where I can go with this. So it I I applied in. I thought I was going to go join the writing team, but they liked my answers for like they, they asked, like, what is your favorite thing about this episode? And they were expecting people to say, oh, I like the part of the episode where you talked about this. But I went into, like, all about, like, the production value, the music, the sound effects, the soundscapes. So naturally, they stuck me on the editing team. And so I've been just doing that for the past couple of years. It led me to a brief opportunity where I was editing for uh, – or helping do audio assembly for Wondery on the show um, Secret Sauce. It only ran for a couple episodes, and then they – discontinued it because it wasn't getting enough views i did one episode of their show true love and then they never talked to me again but i worked for wondery at one point and that is my history of doing po- actually no i also guest on a few other podcasts so no one other podcast i guessed it now i'm a guest of uh, mars on life but i also have guested on um the podcast scaredy cats hosted by sherry nunn it's just like we she will watch like a horror movie that week and we'll talk about it, break it down, like all our funny insights or like the history of it. And yeah, that's that's the podcaster life that I lead. I don't understand how you find time for everything. I think in, 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 in that I'm just like, wow, like, how do you find time? Maybe that's the real secret we need to know. I don't sleep. Or no, I do sleep, but it's just like it's put on the back. I get like at this point, I get like seven hours a night if I'm if I'm lucky, like 2 a.m. I go to bed, 9 a.m. I'll wake up and go like straight to work. But a lot of it is like the work from home really helps. I honestly don't really know how I, I manage to do everything. It's just like I find opportunities and I say yes to them. And then I put my health on the back burner so that I can find time to do everything. And I somehow still manage to get like enough sleep and like eat. I don't eat well when I'm doing really a lot of things like when it's when it's show season, like when I'm doing a show, um, a lot of the time when it's like late night rehearsals, I will just like grab McDonald's on the way back home. OK, here, here the answer is I'm a workaholic. Long story short, I'm a workaholic. I didn't realize it until my friend said like, you're a workaholic. I'm a workaholic. Maybe it wouldn't be the best idea if we dated because we we like never really see each other. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm a workaholic. Because for me, like growing up, my parents were always like, oh, you're gonna do this activity, this activity, this activity, the extracurriculars. No time to hang out with friends. You're just gonna be the most accomplished thing ever. And then I internalized that and made my my own personal value as a human being tied to my accomplishments and my activities and i always just saw it as like oh i'm being involved in things and it's just like learning to manage the stress and pile things on to the point where it's like i can still manage it i hit the wall recently where i like okay this is my absolute limit but it's dangerous because like i'll i'll be able to do this list of things and it's like i've i'm really stressed and i can't I can't go farther, but then I'll do all of it. And then the next time it comes, it's like, oh, I did this much last time. I can add more to it and still be fine and push myself. So it's a lot of like very, very poor management of my own sanity for the sake of like doing all these things I'm interested in. I don't know if I under I answered the question at all, but like it's because I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't know how I do it all. 
if you're doing if it's stuff you're passionate about then is it really workaholism i mean you're not putting 80 hours into a corporate job thank yeah. god you know, like it's stuff that you love doing so um the fact that you didn't realize you would be considered a workaholic initially i think it's a good sign and i mean at this point now it's me now that i've hit that wall it's like okay I need to learn how to step back a little bit. Like I ha- I've had to say no to people very recently, which is a weird feeling because I never say no. I'm always like, yeah, let's do it. Let me find time and I'll do it. Um, but I had to say no to two productions that asked me to um, to to be in them. But it, for me now, it's just like I'm human. I need to rest. I need to take a break. So like I'm not gonna. I I think I'm gonna like step away from like doing theater after this production for like maybe two three months maybe a month just depending on what what goes on but i'm gonna like cut out the theater stuff for a little bit cut out like a few other things just like focus on like the podcasts and work and just have time to myself to catch up on the mountain of comic books i have not read for a moment during your previous response i thought you were freestyling and i don't know if i was having like a if I was having like pre-onset dementia or what the hell was happening but i was like (laughs) part of me was getting like a rhythm and i'm like oh damn and maybe Maybe I have been listening to too much Kendrick in the last uh, 48, 72 hours. But uh, well, well, let me ask you this, too. How would you feel about joining us for some uh, co-hosting in the next few weeks? Let's do it. I, like, I'm like i done with the, the film festival, so that's a huge stress off my back. Like, I'm, I'm done with that. All I have to do is, like, spreadsheets. But I'm good. Yeah, let's do it. Drew, let's get this experiment started. I should note, too, by the way, super random, but I... Something that you had mentioned a while back, I had to write a note down for it. And again, we keep going back to this, but I can't help it. But with the faith beat, I was not allowed to cover the Santa Clarita atheists. I was told they're not a religious group, so why the hell would you cover them? They're inherently a religious group. I I mentioned the atheism thing to the editor-in-chief. To the other individual, I did not say, well... I'm an atheist and I don't consider it, I don't consider it a religious group either, but like, Hey, it, it's the lack of religion. Like that's, that's the hook. That's the religious hook, if you will. I mean, if anything, you'll get engagement socially. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, coming oh, from a social yeah. media manager. Now you're going to like negative engagement is still engagement. Mm-hmm. Like you hear that Kenny half the stuff that like, for for the the client i don't know if i can't i'll mention the client after after june that i'm i was i'm working with now because then they won't okay. be working with us anymore but the client I, I am now like the content for them that generally does really well is the stuff that people are angry about it's the stuff that they're hmm. like this isn't this isn't how i remembered it I, I wish it was the back way or or the liberals are ruining it all it's like it's it's the people who are whining who are driving that engagement up like the positive stuff that everyone likes, it's like, yeah, it'll it'll like the memes will do really well. The the positive, like, oh, this is really cool, they'll they'll kind of middling perform. But it's like the angry rants that people are like, oh, the, you don't realize it's like you're playing yourself because these kind of posts are gonna keep happening because they engage so well. Mm-hmm. It's like you just wish they would realize it, but I don't know. Maybe they're smarter than we give them credit for, but no, that's not the case. No, they're not. So, they're not, they're just angry. I can honestly say i don't know much about the acting world other than uh you know all of my only understanding of it is that it's a grind so oh yeah and uh so all i say is props for that i mean just uh sticking with your passion it's really easy to like uh let things just like you know 
not being able to stick with it. So the fact you've been able to juggle all this, all I have to say is I commend you for doing all of that and stick with it as long as you can. Um, but I am curious about, you know, a little bit about the gaming podcast, but um, I've actually never played that game, so I can't really say much. I am more of a been sucked into Elden Ring lately. Not sure. If oh, my familiar. God. <laughs> I suck at Elden Ring. I, I, I'm glad that I got it on a discount because I went to GameStop and I'm like, you know what? I know I'm going to hate myself for this. I know it's going to be a bad time for me, but all my friends are playing it. I couldn't even finish Sekiro. But you know what? Do you have any used copies of Elden Ring? Yeah, we have one last one. Do you want it? All right, let's do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to ever talk Elden Ring, because I was just telling Ryan on the last podcast, um, and Ryan was saying that, you know, we haven't had much gaming talk, so we're going to have to squeeze that in there. But uh, oh, yeah. I'd like to hear about the gaming, you know, in coming oh, yeah. appearance. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah. Let's do it. Obviously, this isn't technically letting you go since you're going to be joining us next week. Um, but since this is your introduction to the show and Drew actually hasn't had a chance to say this to a guest yet. And I haven't had a chance to say it to a guest in probably since November, October 2021. But we always say this every time we have a new guest come on to Mars on Life. Matt, welcome to Mars. Well, There's a lot Mars. more oxygen here than I thought there would be. <laughs> oh, I all all the puns that I had every time we would say that I've I've forgotten them all. But where the hell's Matt Damon? <laughs> You've been listening to Mars on Life. Look up our show on Instagram and Twitter by searching at Mars on Life Show and give us a follow. Tune in to the latest episodes and bonus content from our show wherever podcasts are found, including Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Also, don't forget to head on over to the official Mars on Life YouTube channel to like and subscribe our work. This show's artwork, Happy Mars, is by Zachary Urbrick, while our intro and outro is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. If you keep going... You'll make it to Mars.